We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I am Carson Cunningham, joined as always by Colby Powell. It is Sunday night. I am in a great mood because Oklahoma State just keeps on winning. We've got Yellowstone debuting tonight, and uh, NFL football's on as well. So all is well in House Cunningham. How is it in House Powell? Yellowstone! (laughs) It's back, Carson. Let's do it. I was wondering if you watched the show or not. I hadn't asked you about that yet. My question is, what percentage of this pod do we need to devote to Oklahoma State just beating the Mountaineer out of West Virginia? And what percentage do we need to donate to Yellowstone predictions? That's, that's kind of the line I'm trying to walk. Well, to keep up with Yellowstone analogies, Oklahoma State's defense was rip, and West Virginia was some, some useless henchman that gets beat, <laughs> beat over the head with a, a metal pipe or whatever. Was it a wrench that he had in the last season? It was a big wrench oh. or something. Man, I can't remember. That's just Oklahoma State's defense being ripped. That's where the analogy can stop because that is spot on. It's spot on, you know, dressed in black, just menacing and just thoroughly dominant. So it's a great Sunday night. Uh, let's hear from Chris University Spirit before we dive into all that happened with West Virginia. And, all, and certainly we have OSU basketball to talk about as well. But we appreciate Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop. Be sure to shop at Chris University Spirit.com. You're going to want to go into Chris's and get a black T-shirt because it's a blackout on Saturday, in prime time, Oklahoma State hosting TCU. They're going to honor Barry Sanders. Go into Chris's, get you some black gear. It might be a little chilly, so if you need a black coat as well, I'm sure Chris's can hook you up. So we appreciate them. Be sure to shop at chrisuniversityspirit.com. Well, Colby, uh, you and I both predicted thorough thorough win uh, domination for Oklahoma State. I picked OSU, I believe, by 21. That's what they – ultimately ended up you know dominating by and uh, you picked them to win handily as well and I tell you what man I mean we've talked a lot about how great this defense is but they're they're starting to enter not just great defense in 2021 they're starting to enter some historical historically dominant defenses it's it's just every single week they seem to top themselves yeah, it was a bad day to be Jarrett Dagey yesterday in Morgantown, West Virginia. I cannot imagine what he felt like physically when he woke up this morning. It's just I mean, he drops back, and, and you know, they kind of talked about it on the, the broadcast, and Orlovsky used the telestrator and everything. He missed a couple. A couple times that blitz came, and there was somebody open, and he didn't see it. But, boy, the majority of the time, there wasn't anything on the back end. And Oklahoma State, the thing is, Oklahoma State was getting pressure and making Daggy's life miserable, and they weren't really having the blitz to do it. I mean, a lot of the times, Oklahoma State was bringing four on, on many of their, what was it, eight or nine sacks that they wound up with as a team. It was eight sacks, 12 tackles for loss for this defense. It was just suffocating. And, I mean, I picked the game 31-17 to 17 in favor of Oklahoma State. And I owe the defense an apology. What was I thinking? 17 for West Virginia after they had put up 38 the week before on Iowa State. That was as dominant and as suffocating as we've seen in a long time. Uh, I know they did it against Kansas, but that's against Kansas. So they did it against an actual football program this Saturday in Morgantown, West Virginia. And it was dominating and it was fun to watch. And and quite frankly, uh, it made the fourth quarter boring. And what have we been asking for all season? Let's have a boring fourth quarter because you have just driven a team into submission. We finally got it. It was great. It was nice not to have to bite your nails all the way through the end of the game for once. That was a, a welcome sight. And you're right. I mean, West Virginia, I mean, they, they had some real success against Iowa State. They threw it for, I believe, over 400 yards. I have it right here. They threw for, let's see. I thought I had it right in front of me. Yes. 
West Virginia threw for 370 against Iowa State. They threw for 116 against Oklahoma State, and they only ran the ball for 17 yards on 33 carries. Think about that. Letty Brown's one of the best backs in the entire Big 12. 33 rushing attempts for a, as a team, 0.5 yards per carry, 17 total rushing yards. It's just, I mean, you can use any, you know, hyperbole you want, but they really are like the steel curtain. Like, this is like dominant 1970s NFL defense where you literally struggle to gain a yard. That's the, that's the lexicon that, that we're starting to use with, with Oklahoma State. And, again, West Virginia is not explosive, but they threw for 370 against Iowa State, who's a really good defense, one of the better defenses in the entire Big 12, which we've talked about for, for weeks. And so it's just it, – it's kind of funny, Colby. And I was watching the game with some friends, and the way I described it to them is like – when you watch the OSU defense, if you start having a conversation with somebody, you're just if you're if you quit paying attention for 10 seconds when OSU's defense is on the field, you're going to look up and it's going to be third and six. It's going to be third and seven. It's going to be third and ten or worse. You can even just zone out the first two <laughs> first two plays. You don't have to watch. It's going to be third to mid to third to long, virtually every single snap or every single series for for the opposing team it's just they almost make it look boring they really do they do get after the quarterback you know brock martin had two sacks devin harper had two sacks colin oliver had one late they do get after you and they're flashy in that way but what they are is they're just solid tacklers no one's open jim Knowles dials up the perfect defenses and colby they make it look kind of boring and and frankly kind of easy on defense yeah, they really do. And, I mean, Oklahoma State had six different guys record a sack yesterday. Devin Harper had two, and Brock Martin had two. Brock Martin's been so good with that banged-up left arm that he's been dealing with all season. And I tweeted out yesterday in the middle of the game, I'm like, we don't give Tyler Lacey enough credit. Tyler Lacey has been so good up front for this Oklahoma State defense. It's, it, it, it really – it all meshes together. I mean, the guys on the back end, they're not breaking down. There were, like I said, one or two plays yesterday, probably two, the two that Orlovsky kept showing uh, on the screen where there could have been something there if Daigie would have found it. Other than that, there wasn't anything going on the back end. Those guys were pretty much locked down. Christian Holmes had a nice interception there uh, in the second half. It's just it, – it was really stifling from Oklahoma State. And it, it's crazy because that first drive that, uh, that West Virginia had, if you'll remember – I mean, they go down the field 64 yards on their first drive of the game. They kicked a field goal. Uh, shocker, I thought they should have gone for it. They kick a field goal. They put three on the board. And they don't score the rest of the game. They don't move the ball the rest of the game. I would have to – I'm trying to think. I don't know that they cross midfield the rest of the game. I kind of – we had some people over, and I kind of tuned out in the fourth quarter because it was such a blowout. I don't know that they cross midfield the rest of the game. Maybe – I think on their last possession they did, and then Oklahoma State got a stop to make it 24-3. to three, uh, Yeah, that's right. Look, yeah, it looks a lot better coming across the ticker than 24-10. to 10, But I think until that drive, West Virginia hadn't crossed midfield again. No, I mean, through three quarters, Colby, they had one rushing yard. One. One. Uno. <laughs> Solo. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's unbelievable. Like, and the numbers are just – are absolutely stupid for what they've done this year. Uh, Oklahoma State's defense from this is from uh, pistols firing Boise State entering the OSU game was averaging 42 and a half points per game they scored 20 K-State 31 OSU held them to 20 Baylor 42.8 points per game 14 on OSU Texas 44 and a half 24 
Iowa State, 33.7, 24. Kansas, 17.6, 3. And again, West Virginia, 29.6. They're averaging 30 points per game, 3. It's just, it almost, like, there's, and that's a bunch of different styles of offense. That's a bunch of different types of teams and types of players physically that they're playing against. And the result's the same. They've given up 20, 20, 14, 24, 24, 3, 3. Unbelievable. And we're, we're living in a bizarro work world, Colby. I mean, since you were born, OSU's been elite at off. Since I was born, even, and I'm a lot older than you, OSU's been elite on offense and terrible defensively. And maybe this is what it's going to take for OSU to win their second Big 12 title. Maybe this is what it's going to take to make their first Big 12 championship game. Just the bizarro Cowboys, man, are here to stay. They're elite on defense, and their offense isn't quite electric, and it isn't quite hitting on all cylinders, but they're efficient, and they're putting up enough points to win. Yeah, and, you know, you threw out those stats. These are their ranks in defensive stats uh, in the FBS. They're third in total defense, fifth in first downs allowed, second in third down percentage allowed, fourth against the rush, uh, ninth in scoring defense, and T5 in sacks. It's just – you know, you look back at some of the better defenses that Oklahoma State has had. 2011, that defense was bend, don't break. Uh, Ball Hawks forced a ton of turnovers, came up four shy of the NCAA record for turnovers forced in a season. That, that's how that defense made it work. 2013, that defense was really good. NFL guys, uh, you know, just all over the place, and that was a really good defense. Carson, I think right now, through nine games, it would be hard to make an argument that we are not watching the best defense in school history. It's just they are right up there whenever they show best defenses in the country. I mean, everything that I've seen is Georgia, Wisconsin, uh, and Oklahoma State. And Georgia is a clear number one because they're ridiculous and they've got like 18 NFL guys on defense. But, I mean, Wisconsin and Oklahoma State are 2A, 2B, and it's just – People are respecting now what Oklahoma State is doing on that side of the ball nationally. And, I mean, at some point, you, you have to start doing that. And I know some people are still going to say, you know, I saw some Bill Connolly ESPN crap earlier where he's like, Oklahoma State's uh, learned how to win ugly, and that's good because it sure was ugly on Saturday in, in Morgantown. That's a load of crap. That was a pretty win. It was never in doubt in the second half. But, uh, yeah, it just looks different whenever you do it with defense. Whenever you beat somebody – Let's see, Oklahoma State won by 21. You beat somebody 55-34, nobody calls it winning ugly. You beat somebody 24-3, you call it winning ugly. Same margin of victory, you're just doing it on the other side of the ball. So uh, it's, it's just been crazy to watch and fun to watch. It's, it's been a nice change of pace from what we're used to. What game did he compare OSU to? Oh, Wasn't there like some sort of comparison there? Was it Ohio State winning ugly against Nebraska? But I don't know. I'm getting my, my takes confused, but. Yeah. I like Bill Conley. He, he, he typically treats Oklahoma State pretty well. I guess he's lived in Oklahoma for a while, but I did see that. It made no sense. He clearly didn't watch the game because it, it wasn't ugly. It was thoroughly dominant. The, the, the word dominant summarizes that game far more than ugly. I mean, were, were Spencer Sanders' two touchdown passes ugly? Those were, those were pretty sweet, in my opinion. And that's before you even get to, you know, the, the steel curtain, bizarro Cowboys just absolutely dismantling Jarrett Dagey in, in West Virginia, who was coming off a big win against Iowa State. So it, uh, it's just it, the, the takes never cease to amaze. But I, I don't think you're wrong, Colby, about this being the best defense in school history. Just case in point, OSU's defense allowed 133 yards of offense. That's the fewest since 1999. And how about this? It's the first time since 1949 
that Oklahoma State Oklahoma State held consecutive opponents without a touchdown. And again, this is in a day and age of spread offense, RPO. I mean, to hold anyone without a touchdown is so hard to do. And to do it as dominantly as they did, where West Virginia really never got close, is even more impressive. And uh, I was off. I was out with a friend of the pod, Eddie Radosevich, and one of his friends, Barrett. And <laughs> Barrett had a great line. He said, you know what? I- I'm kind of getting getting similar feelings, similar vibes that I had back in 1945, man. I'm, <laughs> I'm getting similar, similar, you know. And I was like, yeah, and I looked at him just deadpan. I-, I was just riding the wave with him, with Eddie there. I was like, you know what? I, I remember, I, I'm feeling the exact same. This, this is so eerily similar to that. I remember that like it was yesterday. You know, just we were playing up the 1945 angle. But it's not crazy. I mean, it, it's kind of crazy to think they'll make the playoff and all those things. They got a long way to go to do that. But if you just look at it on paper, Colby, with what they have left, it's not out of the realm of possibility. If they beat Oklahoma twice and their one loss was to Iowa State in controversial fashion, I mean – it's a long shot, but they're definitely not out of the playoff race, I don't think. They're definitely not out of it. I would caution Oklahoma State fans. If they were to beat Oklahoma State twice in seven days, that would mean that in seven days they beat Oklahoma as many times as they have in 16 years. <laughs> it's, could it happen? Sure. Oh, my goodness. Sure. Football's a weird game. I watched the Jacksonville Jaguars beat the Buffalo Bills earlier today. I acknowledge football's a weird game. Anything can happen. It's just – when was the last time that we could go into a bedlam and legitimately think, look, I think Caleb Williams is remarkably talented and that's still going to be a really tough game to win. But when was the last time we went into that game thinking, yeah, Oklahoma State's the more physical team? Because I feel that way, Carson. I think Oklahoma State is a more physical football team than Oklahoma is. No, I, you said that on the last pod, and I agree with it. I mean, just this defense, I don't care who they're playing. <laughs> and I, I mentioned on the last pod as well, like, how is OU beaten Oklahoma State? They've, they've beaten them by running the ball down their throat. That's how they've beaten them. I mean, you go back to the Jalen Hurts year. They run that GT counter all the way up and down the field because they had an NFL offensive line. Last year, they punched OSU in the mouth early, but OSU's defense kept them in that game until really late when, when um, Stevenson broke a big, long run. And, and Riley, Lincoln Riley was having to bust out his, his patented gadget plays, the, you know, the, those fullback plays where he gets them wide open down the sideline. He was having to do that against his defense. And so I, I don't think you're wrong because they're not just going to get run over like they have for the last decade. That, that's, the, that's been the entire – you think back to the, the Mixon-Pirine blowout in Stillwater when Rudolph was hurt. They ran for, they've been running for over 200 yards against OSU every single year. It's where they haven't had to do a whole lot in the throwing game because of it. And they're not going to be able to do that this year. They're just not. And that's before I, I, I bring this – I'm going to keep bringing this up until Bedlam happens. Caleb Williams has been really good at times. He's made really just explosive big plays, more, more so than he's been consistently great. But he's played the three worst defenses in the entire Big 12. That has to matter, and I think he's in for maybe not a rude awakening. He's in for a much stiffer challenge these last three games to the likes of which he hasn't really seen anything close to a Baylor, an Iowa State, or particularly an Oklahoma State. So, yes, Colby, I am putting the cart before the horse quite a bit here, but I think it's, I think it's important to note that, you know, regardless of what Bill Connolly says, if OSU runs the table, they're going to be in the discussion. 
Yeah, they absolutely will be in the discussion. It's, you know, a couple of teams ahead of them lost this past Saturday. Wake Forest goes down to UNC, so that takes Wake Forest out. Thank goodness. Uh, Wake Forest struggles even more in the HL analytic than Oklahoma State does. That's a big metric that the committee uses. That's, of course, his helmet logo. It's probably the most important important metric. I love that. I love the HL. That's all that matters. Yeah, HL is the most important metric in all of college football. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. Wake Forest struggles there even more than Oklahoma State does. So their one loss has eliminated them from contention to be taken seriously for anything. And Michigan State, look, the Big Ten, for whatever reason, the committee – wants to give the Big Ten the benefit of the doubt more so than they do to the Big 12. Why is that? I don't know. I really don't know, man. It's like Purdue, it's, it's the Purdue Boilermakers. They, uh, they've rushed the field twice in like the last three weeks, which, you know, <laughs> field storming is what it is. But I just – Oklahoma State is a better football team than Michigan State. I, I think that we have a big enough sample size to determine that now. I, I think Oklahoma State probably comes in at, I don't know, ninth on Tuesday, which to me seems a little bit low. That loss in Ames just really, really stings because this team is on the verge of doing something special. But uh, TCU has a new quarterback. You you play two teams the next two weeks that are using interim head coaches. TCU is coming off a big win against Baylor in which Jerry Bohannon made one of the most boneheaded throws that I've seen in a long, long time as his team is setting themselves up for a last-second field goal to win the game. Uh, So you got to go out and take care of business these next two weeks because what would be incredibly, incredibly deflating is if if you put all these – expectations on Bedlam and, and the, the next Bedlam, two Bedlams in two weeks with playoff implications and conference title implications, and then you lay an egg against TCU or Texas Tech. I don't think that will happen, and that just can't happen because that would be absolutely crushing. No, they're going to be big favorites. I think they're an 11-point favorite this week against TCU, and I, I do want to talk a little bit about that game. But back to the Big Ten, like, this drives me insane. If you put the Big 12 just – the, the team that's ranked first in the Big 12, the team that's ranked second against the first and second all the way down the line against the Big 10, the Big 12 would wipe the floor with the Big 10. People think the Big 10's good. Like, they think their defenses are good because the, the, the scoring is low. Like, Illinois won 14-6. to six. You're, not, you're not holding <laughs> – it's not a 14-6 to six game because they're playing great defense. If you watch those games, Brett Bielema doesn't even put a wide receiver out there. He's playing – all 11 guys inside the tackle box. Like, they're terrible on offense. I mean, Ohio State's been Alabama good. Besides that, that league stinks. I've been saying it for years. And you're right, Colby. They put Michigan State up there because they beat Michigan, who also stinks and will lose four or five games this year because they haven't played anybody yet. It's just – it's unbelievable to me how how much respect the Big Ten gets versus the Big 12 when – Look, I don't think the Big 12 is great, but they're not totally inept on one side of the ball like they used to. Like, people could dog the Big 12 back in the day when their defenses were terrible. I would agree with that. The defenses were bad. With that, that Tech-Oklahoma game was an abomination. I don't care if it was Mahomes and Mayfield, but just Michigan State hadn't beaten anybody. They, they beat Michigan. Big whoop. It just, it's just – it's asinine, but – you, you know who's partially to blame for the Big 10, Big 12 reputation difference? Iowa State is partially to blame for that because Iowa is trash. And Iowa wipes <laughs> the floor with Iowa State every year. Dude, every year. It's, it, it, it's like the Bedlam deal. I mean, Oklahoma State is 
look, they're not as good as Oklahoma over the last 16 years, but they're not 2-14 and 14 worse than Oklahoma over the last 16 years. They just can't win that game. It's the same thing with Iowa and Iowa State. Iowa State just can't win that game. And that hurts the Big 12 whenever you're going up in perception against the Big 10 because you're like, well, here's Iowa, a team that really can't even score against three to four teams in the, uh, in the Big 10 conference, and they go out and they just drub Iowa State every year. It looks bad. I admit that it looks bad, but I, I hope that that's not weighing in too heavily because that's just, to me, a fluky rivalry game deal where, for whatever reason, they can't get over the hump. But I, I partially blame Iowa State. And do you know how bad Oklahoma would beat Iowa? Oh, my God. Like, OSU's got their own issues playing Oklahoma. I mean, Iowa State just can't handle business against freaking Iowa, who's terrible. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's Ooh. just – it's it, you're right. I, I'm already mad at I'm, – I'm now angry at Iowa State as you, as you bring that up because you're right. It's, it's their fault. I think we should just perpetually be mad at Iowa State. We should just find something to be mad at Iowa State about. I hate their striped overalls that they're fans There you go. Nailed it. That's one of them. But let's get back to the OSU game against West Virginia. The the offense, Colby, it's – look, at periods of time in that game, I was just muttering out loud to myself and anyone who wanted to hear that they're just just not good on offense. That's kind of like what I just kept saying out loud to myself. But then, lo and behold, I mean, Sanders, you know, his numbers are not great, but he makes two or three wow throws a game. He's making – He's making the the stat they call big time throws, and it looked like a, it looked like they were showing the the first touchdown pass on a replay on the second one. It was like almost the exact same play to Tay Martin, but Colby. I mean, Jalen Warren ran tough. He didn't. They didn't get a lot of carries, which is a great thing. But Sanders is not putting up big numbers. But man, he's he's making enough big time throws to really you know pull away from from teams. I think save the Baylor game. I think he's been really good since he came back. That Boise State game was weird. Just about everybody except Spencer was injured, so they weren't able to throw it. Other than that, I mean, the Baylor game was bad. That second interception he threw in the Baylor game was really bad. Uh, one bounced off a guy's face mask. You know, that happens. He's been really good other than that. The, the interception he threw yesterday against West Virginia, that was fluky. It's a halfback slip screen. Guy swings his arm out and hits his arm and pops up in the air and gets intercepted. There, there's a reason that that was Dante Sills' first career interception. He's a defensive lineman. Those things are fluky. Not a big deal. You move on from that. Uh, the, the only play that I can really think of from Spencer yesterday that I was like, ooh, that, that wasn't great, was the one where uh, he stood and held the ball for like six seconds, and then a guy finally came up the middle and got him by the legs to take him down for a sack on a first down in the first quarter I'm like okay probably held on to that one a little bit too long but even the interception I wasn't too worried about that stuff happens uh it was just man it it was a good performance from Spencer and he and Tay Martin have got that fade figured out and that has become a red zone problem for opposing defenses Oklahoma State gets down to the 10 yard line they're throwing the fade to Tay Martin and you know that they're throwing the fade to Tay Martin doesn't mean you can do anything about it I mean, Spencer is dropping it in the bucket, and Tay Martin is just – he is better at the point of attack than any DB that is thrown his way. It, it's just the, – the fade from the 10-yard line between Spencer Sanders and Tay Martin is a thing of beauty. It's fun to watch. Yeah, he obviously has the height on the corners who are against him, but what, what makes Tay so special with that play is he times his jump, like, perfectly. He is at his apex right as the ball is coming in almost every time. And that's why that play is so deadly. You're right, Colby. That play used to, in the earlier in Spencer Sanders' tenure, kind of used to be kind of a throwaway play that we would all get mad about online, you know. But 
the Tay Martin, the, him and they have real chemistry. You're right, and it, it's been exceptional. Uh, and he, they had back-to-back touchdown passes that were just on a dime and just a thing of beauty. And now Sanders has 20 career wins. He's all of a sudden, Colby. He's now fifth all-time amongst OSU quarterbacks and wins behind Rudolph, Gundy, Whedon, and Robinson. Whedon and Robinson are tied for third behind Gundy and Rudolph. So he's he's climbing the wins deal. And, and I thought Marshall Scott wrote a really good uh, point about. Sanders' game against West Virginia is that, you know, OSU dialed up some trickeration. Casey Dunn drew up a flea flicker and a reverse flea flicker, and he made the right call by not just throwing it up for grabs each time. He, he was pressured on the first attempt. Instead of throwing up up for grabs, he just ran for a two-yard gain, and on the second one, he had no one open and threw it out of bounds and to preserve a field goal attempt in uh, West Virginia territory. So that's another sign of growth. I I talked about his growth in the pocket when he stepped up and made that unbelievable throw to Tay Martin uh, on the road at Iowa State. And I think that's another sign of progression, Colby, because I think Mike Gundy's mentioned this many, many times when talking about Sanders is that he wants to win so bad he tries to force things sometimes. And I thought that was a real sign of growth from him. Yeah, absolutely. We, we're kind of seeing some more of that from Spencer, right? We're seeing less of just sort of the reckless stuff that we've seen so much of for so much of his career. And it's, it's really, we talked about for so long, well, his ceiling's so high, his ceiling's so high. You know, you just kind of have to live with some of the other stuff. But what we're seeing the last couple of weeks, the last few weeks really is like, this is what it looks like if you don't have to live with some of that other stuff. If you don't have to live with him being reckless and rolling and throwing across his body into triple coverage and hoping something good happens. The flea flicker, it's not there. West Virginia defended it well. Throw it away. Live to fight another day. That's what he did. The reverse flea flicker, same thing. West Virginia, good discipline defensively. Throw it away. That's the play. That's the only thing to do in that situation. It's just... He has been so much better these last few weeks since the Baylor game that it gives me confidence that I, I don't want to jinx it, Carson. I don't want to get ahead of myself, put the cart before the horse. Maybe he's turned a corner, and it's hard to say that after just a few games, after such a big sample size of him being hot and cold and these big misses and, and, and all that stuff. But he's played well, and we're seeing him develop more of a chemistry with some of these guys. He and Brennan Presley have really started to get on the same page. He and Tay Martin have really started to get on the same page. Even some of the younger guys, you know, two weeks ago, or was it three weeks ago, uh, Jaden Bray had a big drop on a second down. It was in Iowa State. He had a big drop on second down on that last drive. Jaden Bray had a nice catch and run on a quick slant the other day. So we're starting to see him get on the same page with his receivers. The offensive line is doing a better job, much, much improved from a year ago and from even earlier this season. Uh, and, And his threat to run the ball opens things up as well. It's just the pieces are kind of starting to fall into place, and that doesn't mean you have to score 48. 24 was more than enough. It was more than enough. And it's going to be more than enough most weeks. Uh, just don't make mistakes. And that's what we're starting to see from Spencer. Did that Jaden Bray jump cut do anything for you on his catch? Uh, I liked it from a true freshman. I certainly liked it. Oh, boy. Looks that, like in about three years. That got me out of my seat. And uh, Rashawn Woods seems to think, and he's talked a lot about this on some of the sports animal postgame stuff. I was listening to a little bit of it after the game as I was driving around. He kind of thinks Jaden Bray is the next, the next big thing at receiver, and I think he showed flashes of that on his 28-yard catch, which was big, which set up the touchdown run from Jalen Warren untouched right up the gut. And, again, I, I think this is where we haven't talked a lot about David Godlewski much this year. He has made a massive impact on the offensive line. 
mean, he opens up that hole, and you go back to the fourth and one they had against Baylor. Mike Gunny chooses to go for it instead of kicking the field goal. Much to, much to Colby and I's dismay, he went for it on fourth down and one there. And Godleski takes on the biggest, baddest defensive tackle from Baylor and moves him completely out of the way. And he had a big role in that, that last touchdown run from Jalen Warren as well. He's made a big impact. And I think Jalen Warren, while he only carried it 16 times, Colby, which is great. He's, they've limited his carries the last three. I think he only has like 43 carries the last three weeks combined. And But there were, there were some times, Colby, where, again, Jalen Warren was dead to rights, should have gone down and gets an extra five, six, sometimes even ten extra yards. And I thought he really ran hard given his limited carries. Yeah, Danny Godlevsky's been really good this year. Uh, he's kind of been a staple for Oklahoma State. And even I call him David. Am I turning into an old man? You did call him David. You're getting All a case right. of the olds. You're getting I'll, a case of the olds. Call him that one. I think they prescribe medicine for that. You can uh, try to pick that up at your local Walmart. <laughs> um, yeah, Danny Godlevsky's been really good, opening up holes for Jalen Warren. And the offensive line has been much improved. You know, it was a rough first half for uh, Hunter Woodard. You know, Hunter Woodard had a couple of holding penalties in that first half. Uh, some things were going wrong. But there just hasn't been that much go wrong up front. And for so long, pardon me, for so long it feels like we've been looking at the Oklahoma State uh, offensive line and thinking, man, they just can't move anybody off the ball. They're getting dominated. It's not the case anymore. It's not, look, they're not going to win a Joe Moore award, but they're doing more than enough for Oklahoma State uh, to be serviceable in the run game, to give Spencer Sanders time to throw. And I think that you could make an argument. Spencer Sanders is starting to play some of the best football uh, of his career at Oklahoma State. Spencer Sanders is finally starting to have some clean pockets and some time to go through his reads and actually play quarterback without having to worry about somebody in his lap a second and a half after he takes the snap. It's amazing how all that stuff works together. It's just, you know, we – we always say quarterback gets too much credit, too much blame. The offensive line has a lot to do with that, and they've been a lot better this year. They have. And I thought it was interesting. This made me think of – I thought it was ironic, in fact, that, that Mason Rudolph was there on the sideline since Pittsburgh's just a short drive down south to, to Morgantown. Like, looking at Spencer, who I thought – again, I, I'm with you. I thought he played well. I thought he's played really well the last three, four weeks. It makes me appreciate – Mason Rudolph and how easy he made it look to throw for like 350 yards. Like he would like roll out of bed and throw for over 300. And it's not that easy as we're seeing. This is a different style of offense. There's not a, a James Washington on this team. I grant you. Tay Martin's pretty good. Brennan Presley's really good. And they've, they've got receiving talent. I just think the further removed I get from the Mason Rudolph era, the more you realize how freaking good that guy was and how eye-popping his stats were. And it all, it's also interesting to me. Do you remember, Colby, when after every game, Mason would have thrown for like 325 yards and, and three touchdowns? Mike Gundy would be like, I, I thought he played average. I, I thought he played average. He would say that about every game. And <laughs> now that we see what they're getting out of Spencer Sanders numbers-wise – it's it's night and day, and it's just – I don't know. I had that thought seeing Mason there on the sideline. I was thinking that when I saw the, the box score of how limited Sanders' numbers have been the last, you know, two, three weeks, even though he has played well. Yeah, absolutely. It's just it, – it's different, right? And that's kind of how the offense and the defense go together. You know, if your defense is giving up 38, all of a sudden you have to go put up 41. The urgency's True. not – 
put up 41 because the defense is holding West Virginia to three points. I mean, even that being said, Spencer Sanders only has a handful of 300-yard passing games in his career. It, it's crazy. Even looking at what Corn Dog did, Corn Dog kind of lit it up. It's so different with Spencer. It's so different with Spencer. And yet, we, we look at the results, and he's the fifth winningest quarterback in school history. And, I mean, I, I'll be surprised if he's not probably in the top three by the time his career at Oklahoma State's done. I mean, the proof is in the pudding. The guy has really turned into a winning quarterback. And the thing is, for a couple of years, Spencer Sanders made a lot of the disaster plays. You know, the disaster plays that lose you football games. Think about the Texas Tech game uh, a year or two ago. Think about uh, the Baylor game earlier this year could have turned into that had the Oklahoma State defense not been so elite. He's really eliminating a lot of the disaster plays, and that is what is giving Oklahoma State these chances to win these football games. And that's really all you need when the defense is this elite. And whenever you've got good skill players around you, Jalen Warren, um, Tay Martin, Brennan Presley, all those guys. So uh, it's very different, but that doesn't necessarily make it worse. It's just different, but you win how you win. That's good perspective. You've, you've talked me off a ledge. Just... <laughs> You talked me off a ledge. A uh, couple more notes here before we, we go to a bullets and BBs. Uh, Malcolm Rodriguez, he had nine tackles against West Virginia. He has 366 career tackles. He's three away from tying for fifth all-time on OSU's list behind John Corker in 1976 to 79, Mike Green, 79 to 82, Ricky Young, 78 to 81, Leslie O'Neill, 82 to 85. And the reason I'm reading all these names, I wanted to get to this name. Number five all-time at Oklahoma State, Slim Drain, D-R-A-I-N. Slim Drain had 369 tackles from 86 to 89. Colby, I have Googled my heart out trying to find a picture of Slim Drain. I found an old Tulsa World article that's – it made me want to find a picture even more because they kind of described him as like – obviously with the name Slim, he's slender, slight of build, and, and more of an articulate person playing linebacker. I don't know if he was rocking the rec specs or not, but I can't find a picture of Slim Drain. If anyone can find a picture of Slim Drain, tweet me, tweet Colby. I have to see it because Malcolm Rodriguez is three tackles away from tying the great Slim Drain for fifth all-time in tackles history at OSU. How long ago was Slim Drain at Oklahoma State? 86 to 89. Oh, Slim Drain's got to still be around. We got to get him on the pod. We got to get Slim Drain on the pod. I mean, what a name. Drain. If somebody knows Slim Drain... Tell him to tweet me or Carson. Uh, some people from that generation don't have Twitter. Somebody reach out to us. We will get Slim Drain on the pod, and we will talk about what it was like to go out and hit people in the uh, late 80s and what it was like to play on the other side of the ball from Barry Sanders. Shout out Slim Drain. You get uh, honorable mention for Goat Cowboy for tonight's podcast. Yeah, I mean, he played for Pat Jones. Not only he played for Pappy Waldorf. Surely, surely we can get a – he didn't play for Jim Lookabaugh. Surely we can get a picture of Slim. Uh, I'd never heard that name in my life, but he's fifth all-time in tackles history. And, and Rodriguez, obviously, is, is climbing those charts. And he's a, now a Buckus uh, semifinalist on the watch list. So he's having a great year. Uh, let's get to Bullets and BBs, Colby. What do you got for me? Uh, yeah, Bullet. I, I mean, this could go so many different ways on the defensive side of the ball. I think I'm going to get my bullet to Tyler Lacey. He just had the one sack, a couple of guys had two, but I don't think that we've given him enough credit. And, I mean, he only had one tackle yesterday. But he does so much on that defensive line that he just – he eats up blocks. He makes other guys' lives easier. And I feel like that we've kind of neglected the impact that he has had throughout the season, and he deserves recognition for what he's doing. He doesn't get 
the style points at that position. You're not getting the style points. You're not getting all the turnovers. You're not doing all the flashy stuff. You're doing all the dirty work. And the guys who do the dirty work make it really easy for other guys to get all the style points. Uh, so I'm going to go Tyler Lacey. Love it. Feels like he's been in school since Slim Drain, honestly. <laughs> Doesn't it feel like Tyler Lacey's like, like came to OSU in like 2005? He's been around for a minute, man. I don't, I don't even know how long Tyler Lacey's been there. He must be using the COVID year, medical red shirt, actual red shirt. It feels like he's been around forever. I think he's got a couple degrees by now. But, yeah, he, he, I, I've said that before this year. Like, he, he's just so underheralded for the impact he's had. He's a junior, Carson. No. I just clicked it. He's a junior. He's a junior listed as 6'4", 295. He's a junior. What in the world? What, what year did he – what does it say on his bio when he got there? Oh, good question. I, I had the uh, box score pulled up on ESPN. I'm not on Oklahoma State's. No, that, that's got to be wrong then. There's no way. There's no way he's a junior. Maybe that's with the COVID year. Maybe that's with the COVID year. There's no freaking way. They it, might... says, it says he got to Oklahoma State in 2019. I, I mean, I, if you say he's so. A, he's a redshirt junior, according to the official uh, roster. Okay, maybe it's, maybe it's one of those feel versus real things. It feels like he's been there for about eight years, but hey. This is his fourth, so. Yeah, sorry, Tyler. Uh, he redshirted in 2018. That was his first year. He can stick uh, around as long as they'll let him. He has not been around since Slim Drain. I guess we can, we can put, put that to rest. But has he been from postseason play, or can he play in the postseason? I'm sorry? Has he been banned from postseason play, or can he play in the postseason? How's that work? Uh, don't get the NCAA involved with football, too, Colby. Yeah, there you go. Um, I'm staying on defense, too, with my bullet, clearly. I'm going Devin Harper. You know, we've talked so much about Rodriguez, who's getting the, the rightful buzz for the, for the Buckus Award and, and well-deserved. He's been awesome this year. But I feel like Devin Harper's kind of gone overshadowed a little bit at linebacker this year. And he's, he really stood out to me against West Virginia. Obviously, the two sacks stand out. But he was just – he was seemingly everywhere in that game. Just everywhere you look, number 16 was lurking. Even if he didn't make the tackle, he was right there. And I thought he played outstanding, and I wanted to give him his due because he's a guy who's been through a lot in his career with injuries, things of that nature. He, it, Devin Harper feels like he arrived with Slim Drain, too. Maybe it's all, and that's the thing about this defense, Colby. They've got a lot of old guys that have, have maximized their years with the COVID year, like a Rodriguez. And uh, Harper certainly has played outstanding this year, so I wanted to give him some, some love. Yeah, he's been great. He's been absolutely great. Uh, BB, where do we go for a BB? There wasn't a whole lot that went wrong. You can go nationally if you want. We don't have to dog on anybody OSU-related. Could go nationally. There wasn't a whole lot. Uh, I've got mine. I'll, I'll let you think about yours while I'd give mine. Okay, fire away. Fire away. Oh, Tulsa. Oh. Oh. That's a good one. I mean, they've got Cincinnati. They get the ball on the two-yard line. The quarterback – does the zone read he can walk into the end zone he like slides and takes a knee short of the goal line then they give it to this big bruising i don't know if he's a linebacker or he's actually a running back this guy weighed like 260 pounds clearly doesn't handle the ball very often because he tries to reach across the goal line and fumbles out of the end zone cincinnati recovers they could have tied the game with a a two-point conversion and as as bad of a season as tulsa's having they played oklahoma state close they, they played Ohio State well into the fourth quarter, and they could have had a chance to tie Cincinnati if not beat them in overtime, and they, they lost all three. So absolute heartbreaker for the, the Golden Hurricane. I got to give a BB for, for the way they botched that, that final sequence. 
Yep, that's a really good one. I, I can't really come up with anything from the football weekend, so I'm just going to give my BB to the NCAA because I'm not over it. Uh, it's only been four days. I was in Gallagher-Iba Arena on Friday night. Uh, Mike Boynton took the mic after it was done, showed love to the fans. It's just I, I'm not over it. Those guys deserve better, uh, and it's a shame. So it was fun to be in GIA Friday night. I believe I'll be there again this Friday. Uh, going to be tough for me to get up there on weekdays. They play on Tuesday and Friday this week. So if you can get up there, support Mike Boynton, support the team. Uh, they deserve it. Yeah, how was how was it? They, they beat UCO. What was the uh, – And it wasn't – there wasn't 13,000 there, but I thought it was a pretty good showing from the students, and uh, certainly for a Friday night exhibition, it seemed like a good turnout. Yeah, I think the crowd was 8,400 is what it said, which for a Friday night exhibition game, like you said, good turnout. Oh, that's, that's really good. Yeah, I think that was the, uh, the listed attendance, and that's probably about what it felt like being in there. I mean, there were obviously definitely some empty seats, but for an exhibition, pretty good turnout. Uh, as far as the game goes, it was the first half UCO – played like they were really fired up to be in Gallagher-Iba Arena, and Oklahoma State played like a team who'd just been told that they were not going to be allowed to uh, accomplish any of their goals that they had set forth for themselves this season. First half was a little rough, especially on defense. Second half, they uh, righted the ship, and they were up 13, 15, whatever, with a couple of minutes to go. But Musa Cisse, uh, first impression of him, very tall, very long arms, going to be very hard to score against. Uh, and three to four times a game, he's just going to get an easy one where he gets underneath the basket, catches a pass, and can turn around and dunk. Uh, they're clearly going to let Bryce Thompson be Bryce Thompson, which is what I like to see. He would, you know, some pull-up jumpers, hit a three. Uh, I, I thought that that was really encouraging. So the transfers that they got in, obviously, were really good. I, I think that there's a lineup that exists for Oklahoma State where you put Musa Cisse in the middle and then you surround him with four shooters. You let Avery Anderson uh, – Avery Anderson, who else am I thinking of? Uh, Rondell Walker played pretty well on Friday night. You get him out there. Uh, Keelan Boone, that way you can start some rebounding with your tall lineup. He had a couple of nice threes. And then Bryce Thompson, get those four shooters around Musa Cisse. You dump it into Musa Cisse and they double, you kick it right back out to a shooter and let it fly. They don't double. He puts it on the floor one time, turns around, scores. Uh, we saw that lineup for a few minutes in the second half. I think we'll see some more of it as the season goes along. So I'm, e even though the NCAA came down with a ridiculous hammer, I'm, I'm pretty fired up for Oklahoma State basketball. No, they, they're loaded, man. Uh, Bryce Thompson, all, the, all those guys. I mean, they, they've got more depth than, than Mike even really knows what to do with, which is exciting. And I, I can't wait to watch them this year, even though the NCAA totally hosed them. Did you see the, the whole team went to the press conference? Does it show unity? I thought that was really cool. Yeah, that was special. They had the uh, – and, and I know I'm going to mispronounce it – Ubuntu on the uh, shirts. We Ubuntu, are, Ubuntu. Uh, I am strong because we are who we are, or I am what I am because we are who we are, something along those lines. It's just uh, – I mean, you can tell that that team has come together. And, you, you know, we talked about last week how that could galvanize a fan base, how that can galvanize a team, create unity. And I think that that's really what it's going to do for this Oklahoma State team. And hopefully that shows through to recruits that, you know, in Stillwater, it's – yeah, postseason bans there. Scholarship productions are there. These guys care about each other. This is a family, and uh, Mike Boynton's exactly the guy to lead it. His, you tweeted out his approval rating is it, – it's unquantifiable. You can't even measure how high Mike Boynton's recruiting rating, uh, approval rating is in Stillwater. So uh, he's been unbelievable through all of this, and I, I can't imagine going through this with, with a different head coach other than Mike Boynton because he, he's the guy you want leading at this moment, and he's been unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, uh, the video – circulated of him addressing the crowd which you mentioned and I, I tweeted that 
I can't quantify his approval rating, but I, I think, and tell me if I'm wrong or, or crazy here, Colby, I think it's approaching Eddie without the wins, without the Big 12 championships, certainly without the Final Fours, without the banners. It's, it's kind of amazing what type of guy this guy is and the way he's been able to persevere through just a brutal, just just on down the line since he's taken over, he's been dealt so many different things. And I don't know, man, like I, am I crazy to think like he's like as beloved as like almost Eddie, like that sounds crazy to say, but I, I think we're, we're close to being there. Yeah. I, I don't know that I would go full Eddie, but I, I can get behind the term approaching Eddie. Because I, I think that that is a good way to put it. He's not at Eddie levels. You know, Eddie was there for so long with so much success and endured himself to the fan base so much. And Mike Boynton has endured himself to the fan base so, so much. It, it's just when the success comes along with that, and I think it's coming, then, yes, he can get there. And it's just I, I didn't think that Oklahoma State fans – would attach themselves to Mike Boynton the way they have when that hire was made, when everything went about. It's just, you know, he, he was kind of a no-name coming in, getting an opportunity, getting a shot, and he's proven a lot of people wrong, myself included, Carson. I was critical of the hire. I wanted them to go out and spend some money on, on somebody that we knew, a name, you know, to come in and, and turn the program around. I'm like, you know, you hire an assistant to turn the program around. He, he's not getting handed the keys to a Ferrari here. We, we need somebody with some experience to come in and do this. Boy, was I wrong. I mean, whatever they saw from – I mean, clearly what they saw from Mike Boynton is the man that he is. And I, I give all the credit in the world to Mike Holder and the people who made that hire because uh, I, I do think that they were going out on a limb by taking someone so unproven. And, you know, that limb has turned into a redwood tree. This guy is the real deal. And I hope he's in Stillwater for a long, long time because um, – I'm telling you, man, whenever, whenever he took the mic Friday night after that game, some people had already funneled out, but there were a lot still there. And, and it's just, I mean, people are hanging on every word, just absolutely hanging on every word. So uh, shout out to Mike Boynton and the basketball team because I think they've got special things ahead of them. Did you hear about the James Madison article he printed out and showed the reporters after the game? Uh, I saw a tweet about it, but I don't know the details. Well, Mike Boynton and his presser, uh, he had printed out an article about James Madison University from the Richmond Times-Dispatch about how James Madison University athletic teams would be ineligible to compete for the Colonial Athletic Association Championships if JMU accepted an invitation to another conference. News came out Saturday that JMU had, in fact, accepted an invite to join the Sun Belt. It's pertinent, and this is from Marshall Scott's article if you want to go read it in its entirety. It's pertinent to Boynton and OSU because there are some, some similarities in circumstance for student-athletes. It isn't the student-athlete's fault in either case. No one on OSU's roster was associated. But there's deeper meaning because Boynton, looking at the JMU case specifically, JMU president is Jonathan Alger, who was quoted in a joint statement with the athletic director saying, in an era when the industry of college athletics stresses student-athlete welfare, this decision is completely contrary to those ideals. Well, Alger was on the NCAA appeals committee that ruled against Oklahoma State. Talk about hypocrisy. Mike Boynton, quote, I 1,000% agree with that statement, too. I think the student-athletes at James Madison deserve better from leadership. I think they should go to their leaders on campus and ask, how do we get this right? What do we do better? Maybe our athletes can go with them. I think the person that was speaking on that second quote may have some information about how those decisions were made. <laughs> 
Oh, so he prints out this article because James Madison, by switching conferences, does is not going to allow their athletes to compete for conference championships, and their president is is appalled. The same president who sat in front of Mike Boynton and told him that his team can't compete for the NCAA tournament this year or the Big 12 tournament this year. Just the hypocrisy knows no bounds with this entire decision. Yeah, it's unbelievable. It really is unbelievable. The adults in the room that are supposed to be the ones making the decision and looking out for the welfare of the student athlete are doing the exact opposite. And we're we're just seeing this in multiple scenarios across the board. I feel for the kids at James Madison. I really do. It's the guy in leadership who's a hypocrite. It's not the kids. I feel for the kids. I mean, the kids show up to James Madison. They're going to school. All of a sudden, they decide to move conferences. Now they're banned from postseason play. That's a load of crap. That's an absolute load of crap. It's the adults making decisions that impact the student-athletes, and they're supposed to be taking care of the student-athletes, Carson, and they're doing the exact opposite. Not only are they not taking care of them, not only are they not doing what's best for the student-athlete, they are punishing the student-athlete for decisions that adults make that have nothing to do with them. It's the same thing with the Oklahoma State case with Oklahoma State basketball. It's the same thing with, uh, with James Madison, with them changing conferences. The adults are making decisions that are harming the student-athletes, and that's the exact opposite of what is taking place. So shame on them, uh, shame on the ones who are involved in that decision, and shame, again, on the ones who are involved in the Oklahoma State decision. It's a crime, and I, I'm, I hope my boy just keeps hammering all those people on it because that was, that was a thing of beauty. One more thing before we get out of here, Colby. Uh, Chris's University Spirit Uniform Review brought to you by Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop. Be sure to shop at chrisuniversityspirit.com. My goodness, did the Curse of Cowboys helmet look fantastic or what? Oh, so good. I said said black, white, black. Uh, Orange, white, orange was perfectly acceptable. The Curse of Cowboys was pretty sweet. I saw, uh, was it, Polk's uniform tracker, I think, on Twitter, laid out everything that they've worn the whole season and asked what your favorite was, and it was tough, man. K-State was really good earlier in the year, the black, white, black. Uh, Last week against Kansas, those helmets were so, so clean. The tricolor looked really good. And they looked really good against West Virginia. They have so many elite uniform combinations. Uh, I think behind Oregon, Oklahoma State might be number two in the entire country in terms of uniforms. Is there anybody other than Oregon that does it better than Oklahoma State? No, and I I think Oklahoma State is the only ones besides Oregon that that wears a different uniform every single game. Because that's that's that was their original goal when they switched uniforms in 2011 was they wanted to be kind of the or, like Nike and them collaborated where they wanted to be quote unquote the Oregon of the East uh, on this side of the country and uh, they've done so and it's more so than just the like to me what's taken them to this level is the helmets like Oregon wears the same logo every single week with the wings and it looks cool and they change the colors and everything but like OSU's had like. 40 different helmets almost i don't even know the exact number but it's approaching that and that to me just takes it to another level and it and i thought about this too like i used to think you know why do they wait till the game time to, to say what they're gonna wear like a lot of teams tweeted out the night before like i kind of enjoy waiting around till about an hour or two before the game to see what when the tweet comes out what they're gonna wear i, I really like that but uh I, I like the look i think it looks a little cleveland brownsy with the, the orange, white, orange, but I'd much rather them wear the orange pants and the black with the, with the orange helmet. I just, I, the orange pants just, 
they pop so much. I, I, I love them. They're easily my favorite part of the unis. Yeah, I think so, too. They, they looked really good on Saturday. Uh, and, Carson, I'm going to go ahead and get out in front of the uniform predictions for Saturday. I'm going all black. Sound good? I'm going all black. Well, that's a layup, right? That's like a free square. If they're doing a blackout, you got to wear all black, right? Oh, yeah. It's going to be all black. That was uh, – uh, I thought we talked about white, black, white. That could be – you can go all black. I'll go white, black, white just to be different. How about that? I just – I'll be more curious to see what they do – with whether they go throwback with helmets with jerseys you know they're honoring barry on saturday night by the way shout out 7 p.m boom picking stadium is going to be rocking oh it's going to be nuts it's about damn time they got a night kickoff too uh, i guess kansas was but that's kansas this is actually a, a big big game and we'll talk a lot about about tcu on on the next episode before before the weekend but they might have something a little special for Barry involved. I was trying to think, like maybe like a a Barry a helmet with like Barry Sanders at OSU striking the Heisman pose. Uh, I don't know. Maybe they'll do something special for Barry on the helmets. We'll have to wait and see. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It's it's going to be a fun week. I should. Uh, I think I'm spending my whole weekend in Stillwater. Friday for basketball, Saturday for football. Should be fun. Swing by Karsten Creek, and in, in the meantime. Ooh, that'd be fun, wouldn't it? I wonder what the weather's going to be like. I do love me some Carson Creek. By the way, shout out Victor Hovland. We I was going to say, I was going to say, I'm I'm setting the table for you there. Yeah, back to back, Maya Coba, Victor Hovland ran away from the field. He was dominant. Uh, shout out Victor Hovland. By the way, fun fact: his driver snapped in three places on the range on Wednesday. He let Danny Lee use it for speed training because he wanted to see if he would hit it further uh, with a with a driver that was an inch longer. Hovland did. Hovland was like, "Hey, hit mine. I want to see if you hit it further with mine." Danny Lee swung. Driver snapped in three places. He didn't have a backup on site, and because the tournament was in Mexico, there were no equipment trucks on site. John Huh was standing there with him on the range and said, "Hey, man, I've got a backup driver, and they have similar specs." So. Uh, Victor Hovland actually played with John Huh's backup wow. this week and boat raced the field for his second consecutive win at Mayakoba. Victor Hovland now, Carson, three wins on the PGA Tour, has yet to win in the United States, but I love every second of it. Victor Hovland, uh, pretty, pretty elite, getting it done, top 10 player in the world. He's not going to give that driver back after that. Oh, yeah, he's keeping it. He'll, he'll buy John <laughs> Huh. Yeah, he's got plenty of money to do that. So, and uh, Taylor Gooch had a strong, had, had a had a great tournament. He kind of faded on Sunday, finished I think T eleven. I was kind of hoping he would be up there with with Victor and maybe even win since Victor's already won. But great four, finish four from him. Four starts this year for Gooch: T four, T five, T eleven, T eleven. He he's doing all right. That's what we call trending and uh, making bank. So, good for Taylor. Good for the Cowboys on tour. Uh, Colby, this was fun. Uh, this football season's been fun and. Uh, it's shaping up to be a special year. Well, I, I can't wait to, to see how this season progresses, man. Yeah, me either. It's, it's been a blast. Eight and one. Eight and one feels good. By the way, shame on you, Vegas. Over-under for this team was seven and a half. They just hit it. They've got three games to go. Let's go, folks. Cash the tickets. We'll talk to you next week. Missile's firing.